Welcome to Mysteries to Die For and this toe tag. I am T.G. Wolf, and I'm here with Jack, my piano player and producer. This is normally a podcast where we combine storytelling with original music to put you at the heart of a mystery. Today is a bonus episode that we call a toe tag. It is the first chapter from a fresh release in the mystery, crime, or thriller genre. Today, you're in for a treat. The feature release is Psychotherapy by me. It is the third book in the Diamond series, and it's now available. Just so everybody knows, I'm not even going to attempt the accents this time as I butcher them so badly. Ooh, Jack transposed his keyboard. One hundred shades of beige. Some people aren't meant to have a happily ever after. Oh, you know what I mean. The idealized, fulfilling career by day and by night the perfect partner and the perfect home in the suburbs with peanut butter covered kids, 2.5 dogs, and a reason to go home at night. I almost had it, once. Oh, not the dog and the kids, but the partner, the reason to go home. It seemed like forever ago that it all changed, but according to the calendar, it was just over a year. That was my before. In my after, my hands were filled with empty glasses, empty plates, empty bowls. A metaphor for my life, I said, as I stacked the ceramics and carried them into the kitchen. The impromptu party had emptied my refrigerator to celebrate our return home, more or less intact. It broke up as abruptly as it started. Everyone had someplace else to be. Someplace better. Everyone but me. I had a dishwasher, but I opted for old school. I washed, I rinsed, I dried and put away. It was the personal touch missing from our app-driven world. Was it really so hard to take time to put sponge to a dish? I mean, it took a machine two hours and 28 minutes to do what I did in seven minutes. Huh, felt longer. I sought out other jobs looking across my kitchen. Everything was neat. One chair at my kitchen table. The other had been appropriated by the 17-year-old squatting across the hall. He offered to bring it back, but what was the point? My ass wasn't fat enough to warrant two chairs. Three crows sat on the windowsill. They squawked at each other's, head twitching left and right. One looked in at me. He cocked his head the way that only birds can do, asking a silent question. Who's with you? It's just me, I said fucking alone again. It's funny how quickly loneliness can find you, remind you what you all but forgot. Just a moment of quiet. That was all it took. And there it was. Some people weren't meant to have a happily ever after. I stalled outside my bathroom. The window screen lay propped in the corner, a reminder of a job unfinished. It wasn't so long ago that I went into the bathroom with my husband's picture and a handgun. I intended to put my exit strategy into motion. Bullet to the heart. My heart stopped beating the day my husband died. The rest of my body would just be catching up. That was what I thought. Now? Now I wasn't sure what I thought. 
Did the family go? Fuck! I jumped out of my skin, spitting in midair and drawing the sidearm I wasn't carrying. Behind me was the one party-goer I hadn't seen leave. Sam Irish stood in the frame of my bedroom door, glowering as though I scared the crap out of him instead of vice versa. Oh, the name wasn't the one his mother gave him. Hell, it wasn't the name MI6 wrote on those digital paychecks, but it was the name I called the pain in my ass by for the last decade. Born and raised in Dublin's alleys, Irish was built like a pale oak tree with eyes as dark as night. The only color to him came from the thick auburn hair he wore too long to be pretty. He raised an arrogant eyebrow at the index finger ready to blow him away if he made one false move. Family, I echoed, buying time to restart my heart and stow my handgun. You mean everyone? I didn't have a family anymore. I gave up those whose blood I shared when I buried my name and the remnants of my before life in the grave adjoining my husband's. All that remained was a collection of castaways, loners and stragglers who hadn't yet realized that I was driftwood in the ocean of life. They left, I said. I thought you had too. In due time, Irish handed me an envelope. Nobody says that these days. I examined the package. It was a standard business envelope, sealed with no address, no return. What's this? It explains itself, he said, not explaining himself at all. Typical Irish. I tore it, careful of the paper within. Okay, maybe I was a little more worried about there being an explosive device or anthrax, the poison, not the band, or one of those damn jack-in-the-box things designed to test for proclivity to heart failure. Yes, I know it wouldn't fit in a business envelope, but if there was a way, Irish would have figured it out. He was that smart and that devious. Turned out there was only paper inside. Kinda anticlimactic, don't you think? With an eye roll, I opened the trifold and found my own handwriting. What games are you playing? Read. Irish circled behind me, resting his chin on my shoulder. Fine. I, the one and only Queen of Diamonds, demon tamer extraordinaire. Was, was I drunk when I wrote this? Keep reading, he said. Diamond tamer extraordinary. Recognize Sam Irish and all of his aliases for his bravery, gallantry, and brainery. I was drunk. That is not a word, and if it were, I would not apply it to you. I think you describe me to a T. Keep going. Never mind, I will. He tore the paper from my hand. Bravery, gallantry, and brainery with three wishes. With the wishes, the Queen of Diamonds will do as she is asked without arguing, negotiation, and or of stalling. This letter is valid until one year after my death. Remember that exit strategy I told you about? Well, it was interrupted by a blonde with a promissory note signed over by the smug bastard smirking down at me. Having fulfilled that contract, I was free. Or so I thought. How many of these things do you have, I asked. Is that my signature? I don't think it is. Let me see it. You forged it, didn't you? which turned into a game of keep away, ending when he fell into me and my single kitchen chair, flattening it to the ground. Squash between deformed metal and Irish's fine chest, laughter erupted like a volcano. The violent bout of joy burned away the melancholy. You're heavy, I complained, but didn't try to move him. I take it you want something? 
He nimbly climbed to his feet, extending a gentlemanly hand. We're going for a ride. Okay, that sounded promising. Adventure, well, that was my middle name. Where, I asked. You promised not to argue, negotiate, or stall, Irish said as though bracing for a storm. Get your phone, your keys, and your womanly things. I'll drive. Womanly things, oh, that definitely sounded promising. Or it would have been if not for the look in Sam Irish's dark eyes. I felt like I was in the forest, balancing on one foot, and no matter where I set the other down, it would be in a bear trap. I'm going to need more than that, I said. Sam looked away, scratched his head. If I was an observant person, which I am, I would say he was conniving. I crossed my arms, silently calling him out. When his gaze swung to me, it scalded. Quick as a viper, he struck, grabbing my wrist. Instinct had me pulling back, but he'd put some muscle into it. I wasn't breaking his hold without taking a finger or two with it. Then he slapped a small card into my palm. I twisted my wrist, his signal let go. He didn't. Glaring at him, I took it in my free hand, turning it over to read. Robin Ransom, PhD, HSPP, ABPP. When it clicked, it was a gun cocked on a silent night. Therapy? My voice scattered the crows outside my windows. Nope, not happening. I'm not going to do a therapist, and I'm definitely not seeing someone named Robin. You and Karma can kiss my ass. I crumpled the card and threw it at him and went for my bedroom. He yanked on my wrist, the one he still held, pulling me into him. A lovely ass it is, but your appointment is in an hour. With the traffic around here, we'd best be off. I shoved him, reiterating what he could do with his therapist. We can best defenestrate you out the kitchen window. I'm not leaving this house, ever. I leaned into him, backing him toward the remnant of my kitchen set. He took my momentum and made it his own. A girly scream may have slipped out as up became down. Hey, not my fault. It's a biological function, like when you laugh so hard you pee a little. Irish stalked through my apartment, me the sack of dog food over his shoulder. I grabbed for the doorframe, a lamp, books, bookshelf, anything to stop the stupidity. Property damage accrued in our wake. My reinforced metal front door was my chance to stay this lunacy. Irish flung it open and then turned quickly, disorienting me to the point that my fingernails scratched across the door, but found no anchor. I cursed the man and all that was sacred to him. Obscenities echoed in the stairwell. Heaven, hell, and everyone in between knew that I was pissed. On the third floor, one of my building tenants stood in her doorway. Su Chen Wong covered her mouth, laughing at me as a litter of puppies bounded out of her door. Bye-bye now, she said. Bye-bye. I braced myself off Irish's fine ass. No bye-bye. Help, help. Bye-bye, she waved. Second floor. Marianne McNamara leaned against the doorframe, sauce on her apron, hand pressed to her heart. How romantic! You kids have fun! The worst cook in the 212 area code fucking swooned. Fun! I screeched at her. Do I look like I'm having fun? She closed her door, leaving me to my fate. It's a conspiracy! Fucking Irish! I screamed, playing the role of the homicidal ex-CIA agent to throw him off my actual plan. He still had to maneuver me out the front door of the apartment building. The door automatically locked when closed. I pictured my move. Levering up, I would catch the bottom of the doorframe, extract my lower half from the arm holding me, and plant my boots on his ass. 
Then I'd go upstairs, get my gun, and make my point one piece of lead at a time. There'll be none of that now, he said calmly, pulling me down across his chest. It was an awkward position he couldn't hold for more than a few seconds, but it was enough to put us on the wrong side of the door. He dropped me to my feet. I swung for his jaw. A hand-to-hand -hand battle ensued. I was winning, forcing Irish to retreat toward the parking lot next to my building. His eyes widened and he dropped his defense. Three o'clock. I looked over my shoulder to the mother and the kid on the sidewalk. The mother narrowed her eyes disapprovingly. The kid threw a jab combination, ending with a roundhouse kick. I can do karate too. We were play fighting, I said lamely. And then I was upside down again. Irish, you fucking son of a bitch, your balls are mine. Your balls are mine, the child's voice echoed. I put all of my energy into leveraging up and leaning back. I would go down, but I'd take Irish with me. Fuck, I breathed out, my back landing against his SUV. You need help, he said, an inch from my face. More than the kind that me or Black can give you. I don't need help, I snapped back. What I need is peace and fucking quiet. So you can blow your brains out? He bounced me off the truck. I can't live my life knowing you're doing everything you can to end yours. God damn it, you matter. Why the fuck don't you see that? I didn't answer. I didn't have a chance. He yanked the passenger door open and shoved me into the seat. He buckled the belt without looking at me. The door was closed with enough force to rock the truck. A chirp many locked it. I rushed the vehicle, unlocked it, got in, and relocked it. He didn't talk as we drove. Anything I said, he would counter. I only had so much energy, and I needed to conserve it. I had to stay calm and look for opportunities because there was no fucking way I was going to lie on Dr. Robin fucking Ransom's couch and say one goddamn word. The apartment building I owned and lived in was in Washington, D.C. neighborhood that rated three stars. This was a place people found themselves in, not really one that they aspired to. Well, there were good people here, fighting to keep their heads above the drugs and the gangs and the price of rent, and they lent a hand when one was needed, but they also kept their mouths shut. We crossed a river and wound through a concrete maze disguised as urban renewal. Long story short, any building having an ounce of character was torn down and replaced with new construction looking just like what was built next door. When did pastel become the only color palette? This was DC, not Florida. There might be 50 shades of gray, but there were at least 100 shades of beige. And we drove past every one of them. Now, Irish pulled into a small parking lot, parking near the side door, a judicious distance away from a banged up dumpster. The building in front of us was still under construction. Half of the stores on the street level had four lease signs in the windows. The two floors above had stingy balconies giving the illusion of the outdoors without any risk of actual weather exposure. Irish exited the truck, locked it, came around my side, unlocked it, and opened the door. Are you ready to behave yourself? <laughs> I snorted. Was that really a question? You could save yourself a whole lot of bruising by ending this now. The rough black top still needed its top course, but that didn't stop it from radiating the June sun and heat. Between the heat and the gravel, it wouldn't be a comfortable place to put skin to. Irish held out his hand. I rolled my eyes at the olive branch. Since when are you a gentleman? I asked, putting my hand in his. 
He held my hand, rubbing his thumb over it. I forget how dainty your hands are, he said. Then he caught my other hand and zip-tied them together. And I've never been a gentleman. Oh, I thought about going nuclear on his ass, but he had all the advantages. You crossed a line, Irish. I growled the words at him. Cut me free. After, he said, you walking or am I carrying you? Fuck. And I was upside down again. Irish, I'm going to hurt you in so many ways, you're going to need a thesaurus to find new words for pain. Another bloody list. He sounded happy, damn near gleeful, as he hauled me into the building. The temperature dropped 20 degrees. He stepped into an elevator for a short ride to the other floor. If you put as much planning into your missions as your list, you wouldn't have half the scars. Go ahead and laugh, you Irish bastard, I said, but I have a hundred ways to kick your ass, and I'm thinking of more every day. He patted my butt. You've always been creative, love. The elevator opened and we were in a, you guessed it, beige hallway. Darker beige carpet, lighter beige walls. The light fixtures were naked, but as soon as someone got around to it, I'm sure they'd be beige too. Irish paused outside a door. This doctor is a friend of a friend who specializes in working with first responders, politicians, and the intelligence community. There is someone you can talk to here, so play nice. Then we went in. Lucy Nutcase, Dr. Ransom's three o'clock. I prepaid, she'll be going in now, and lock this door behind us. I caught a glance of a suited woman standing behind a desk with her jaw hanging open. Don't mind him, he's not an asshole, he just plays one on TV. And don't lock this door. Dr. Ransom, Miss Nutcase is here, Irish called out as he dropped me onto the couch. Your ass wasn't so bony, I might have had to let you walk. The office was a good-sized room with three other doors. The one with the glass open to one of those deathless balconies. The two solid doors were closed. One was tastefully labeled, exit. The other was unlabeled. Furniture was sparse. The couch I sat on was upholstered in a brushed velvet in a color somewhere between blue and purple. Accenting pillows were the type meant for looking at, not lying on. Pointless, but not beige, so there's that. Behind the couch was a decorative screen, another kind of accent with long strips of something, not wood, in a shade of purple, boldly purple, set with black in between. It dwarfed the size of the couch, making me feel like it was about to fall on me, like a shiny purple avalanche. It was some fucked up shrink's idea of a sounding board? If I was stupid enough, to throw my baggage against it, it would result in a Rorschach of nightmarish proportions. The matching chair sat off to the side, the price tag still attached. The desk was little more than a taller table with a glass top. There were no drawers, glass or otherwise. Half a dozen moving boxes were stacked behind the desk. The top held a short stack of papers, a picture frame, a cord for charging something that wasn't there. The walls were framed with prints themed on tranquility, sand dunes, dragonflies, waterfalls, herons, hummingbirds, eagles. No robins, not one. Not surprising, the ordinary little birds weren't tranquil, they were annoying. Looks like your shrink is MIA. I held up my hands to be cut free, smiling like I'd won because I had a toilet flush from behind door number three. Maybe next time, I'll be waiting in the truck, 
Irish kissed the top of my head, the idiot, and headed for the exit. One foot out, he looked back over his shoulder. Give it a chance. I flipped him off. Give this a chance. With an amused curl of his lips, he closed the door. I searched to my feet and was across the room on a scavenger hunt. I needed scissors or a box cutter, anything with a sharp edge, and I needed to get out before the brain douching commenced. Rummaging through the top box and covered big heavy books that would make excellent blunt force weapons, but were useless against plastic ties. The bathroom door opened. The man who filled it was six foot two if he was an inch. A dark-eyed, dark-skinned black man, his pink shirt shimmered in the sunlight as it hung from wide shoulders. His gaze went to my hands in the box. His box. It's not what you think, I said, holding up my hands. My friend thought he was funny. Your friend has an odd sense of humor, Dr. Robin Ransom said, in a British accent. Irish found me a hot therapist. To show my appreciation, I wouldn't kill him. Just maim him a little. Odd doesn't begin to describe it. I put my hands out to him. So what do you say? Why don't we leave those as is for now? He leaned against the bathroom door frame and gestured with the hand toward the couch. You're early. I shouldn't be here at all, I said. I went to the couch because I couldn't stay bent over his moving boxes. Call me Diamond. All the cool kids do. I don't need to be here. We should wrap this up pretty quickly then, he said. No point in kicking a dead horse now, is there? I'm glad we... Wait, are you insinuating that I'm a lost cause? Oh, of course not. It's a metaphor. It's one of those parts of speech you Americans endlessly bastardize without understanding its linguistic origins. You, for example, have closed your mind to therapy. Ergo, your mind is a dead horse. Any attempt on my part to alter change or inform your perceptions is a waste of energy, much in the same way of kicking a dead horse to get it to move. In short, no matter how hard I kick you, you're not going anywhere. I stood flashing my charming smile. There is a difference between being dead and playing dead. The first is confining and the latter liberating. And as for kicking me, well, I wouldn't want you to strain yourself. I understand your limitations. After all, those who can do and those who can't hang diplomas on the wall. His long body pulled from its reclined position. Are you suggesting I'm a fraud? Not at all, I said. I'm suggesting you're a failure. And being a failure is not the same as being a fraud. Nope. You see, it's not your fault. Being ordinary is a handicap that can be overcome with, I mean, delusions of grandeur and copious amounts of whiskey. He snorted. And you're extraordinary? Please. I've met pigeons more unique than you. Look at yourself. Where do you shop? NYPD blue wardrobe surplus? I rolled my eyes. Elton John called and asked you to return the shirt you stole. He crossed his arms over his chest. Smart, vicious, enjoys a good fight. Thinks she's unique when she's more of the buy one, get two free variety. Poor baby. Life didn't live up to your expectations? I mimicked his pose. Well, I tried to. The zip ties cramped my style. I settled for resting my hands on my hip. Uh, that's a mirror you're looking into, and don't be too hard on yourself. You're not the only one who ekes out a living getting people to pay for your attention. At least you get to keep your pants on. Silk pants, he said. Only the best. When did the nightmare start? I... Damn him. 
Don't bother denying it, he said. The circles under your eyes and the lack of witty repartee are classic signs of sleep deprivation. How long has it been since you slept through the night? A month? Six months? Tell me about the nightmares. I don't have nightmares, I snapped. I don't dream at all. Immediately, I knew I'd lost. Damn it, I'd revealed too much. And if I did, I could handle it. He sat down at his desk, pulling a few sheets of paper in front of him. He slashed across the top with a green pen. Goodbye, Lucy Nutcase. Hello, Diamond. He scribbled my name and then looked up. Last name? Tierra, I said sarcastically. And the bastard wrote it. He began reading. Dead husband? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Car chase? Pyrotechnics? Mm-hmm. Baseball? You had to be there, I said. I left the couch to creep up on his desk. The page was filled with printed text and comments in the same green ink. Reckless? Rash? Doesn't that mean the same thing? No regard for life? Suicidal tendencies. He looked up, pinning me with his gaze. Care to talk about it? Easy answer. No? Fine. I don't have time anyway. He bent to a box behind the desk and began unpacking. If you don't have the stomach to deal with your issues, then you might as well kill yourself. Do it quickly and leave the air for the rest of us. I, he, did, did he just? You can't tell people to kill themselves. That's malpractice. He stacked books on the glass desktop. Sue me. Oh, wait, you're going to be dead. Oh, haunt me. I've, I've always wanted a pet ghost. Maybe I have a good reason to want to die. You're taking up air. Maybe I... Bloody hell, he said sharply. He turned, crossed the room in three long strides, and spun me toward the door. I don't have time for this. Out with you. I sidestepped right. I thought I had an hour. Had. Past tense. He grasped my shoulders and steered me to the left again. Your time is up. I planted a boot on the wall. Oh, no, it isn't. Yes, it is. He put his shoulder into it, sweeping my leg and sending me tumbling into the hallway. Take two aspirin and don't call me in the morning. Door slam. What the fuck? I sprang to my feet and tried the door. It was locked from the inside. I pounded on the fucking beige panels. Open up! It's not that I wanted back in, because I did not want to talk to Dr. Robin Ransom, but nobody turns Diamond out like a cat on a night. I'm not done talking to you. Yes, you are, Ransom said, his voice muffled by an inch and a half of engineer wood. Bloody nutter. Bloody nutter? I'll show him who's nutters. I would just circle around back to the reception room and kick his ass with my hands tied together. Now, to get back. The hallway was a one-way trip to a staircase which opened into the parking lot. Irish was sitting in his SUV with the motor running, windows up. I kicked his door, startling the self-proclaimed super spy. He shoved the door open and got in my face. What the hell are you doing here? You still have 45 minutes. Your therapist is psycho, I shouted. What did you expect from someone named Robin? Cut me loose, now. I'm gonna go kick his ass using number 18. Irish pulled a knife from his pocket. Hold still, you cut yourself. How hard were you pulling? And what do you mean he? Ransom is a she. I shouldn't have had to pull hard at all, I said. And Ransom is definitely a he. A hot he, as if you didn't know. She's a she, he cut through the zip tie. I know a woman when I see one. An unnatural noise drew our attention to the second floor. 
a woman was awkwardly climbing over one of the balconies. Her hands were bound behind her back and tape covered her mouth. We can't get her in time, Irish said. Both of us saw the resolve in the woman's face. She was going to jump. She's crazy if she thinks she can make it. I moved under her, like I was going to stop her from painting the nice new asphalt with brains. Don't. She was airborne, legs pumping over an air treadmill. Her determined gaze never wavered from her destination, the banged up red dumpster. She soared over my head. One foot cleared the thick metal side, the other didn't. Her body somersaulted out of sight with a muted cry. Irish and I scrambled into the dumpster. The woman was limp, sprawled over crushed construction debris. Her dark blue skirt showed more leg than it covered, blood seeping from fresh cuts. Without the opportunity to protect herself, her face and body were planted in a load of scrap drywall. Her left shoulder was at a painful angle. I have you covered, Irish said, his eyes and his weapon methodically searching the floors above. Is she alive? Crossing the three feet to her head, rival trucking through the jungle. Pitfalls were everywhere as cast-off materials moved underfoot, working to take me down. The woman faced away, a long thick braid of dark hair reaching toward me like a lifeline. It was soaking wet. A low, soft groan came as I approached. She's alive, I announced to Irish, rounding her head to be seen. Easy, I said. Try not to move. I'm going to take the tape off of your mouth. There was no way to be gentle. The best I could do was be fast. What should have been a cry was a whimper. You're going to be fine, I said, as her brown eyes focused on my face. Stay still for a little longer. Help is on the way. The woman nodded, wincing. She licked her bleeding lip. I, I can't feel my arm. I pressed my hand to her back, keeping her in place. Hold tight and try not to move. What's your name? She looked up at me. Robin. Robin Ransom. So there we have the first chapter of Psychotherapy. It was released July 10th by Down and Out Books and is available from online retailers and upon request from your local bookseller. Bookseller, I can speak. So my book just came out, so there are no reviews for me to go look at to say what people thought, so I'm going to tell you what I think. So Psychotherapy is a mystery. Diamond, one name for a woman who is faking it until she makes it, and she will make it. At least that's what she keeps telling herself. Dr. Robin Ransom is a therapist to first responders, cops, and spies, and she has a problem. She is being blackmailed via email by a nameless, faceless crook. Her neighbor, Morali Devi, an IT wizard who said he'd take care of the problem for her, well, he's dead. And there's a hot British guy after her for information she swears she doesn't have. Before Diamond was a widow, she was a CIA agent with lethal skills, skills she nearly used on herself. An intervention puts her on Dr. Ransom's couch, which you just heard, squarely in the middle of a high-stakes game of blackmail, kidnapping, and murder. From a video gaming beastmaster in Michigan, to a suicide bomber in Virginia, to a psychiatric conference in the south of France, Diamond jumps in with her usual flair for chaos and destruction. But fate isn't satisfied. Fate never is. Pushing Diamond into a position where it's either her or the person she cares for most. Bottom line, psychotherapy is for you if you like fast-paced mysteries, dynamic characters, and stories meant to be read just for the fun of it. 
So what are the strengths of the stories? Well, I think like all of the diamond stories, psychotherapy is a mystery with an adventure pacing, like you just heard. The story does not take itself very seriously. And each chapter in the story has a story wrapped up in it. So just like you heard in the first chapter. And so it does make it easy to read. It makes it fun to read. Where does it fall short? Well, it is the third story in a trilogy. And so why the mystery, the Dr. Robin Ransom story, is totally independent of the first two books, the character development for Diamond and her friends, it's not. It's like any trilogy, you can read the story alone, but you won't be able to get the full understanding of the relationship between the characters or the jokes that refer back to previous books, like her saying she was going to use number 18 or um, the reference to defenestration. So really, the best thing you can do for yourself is to read all three. Toe tags for the first two books are also available. So with that, we wrap up this toe tag. Join us next week for our regular episode. And Jack, why don't you go ahead and take us out? <laughs>